The Start On Demand. On demand. This might be the last great battle of the COVID pandemic. That's what Raywat Dionandan told us this morning on The Start. He's an epidemiologist at the University of Ottawa, and you will hear more of that conversation during this podcast. David Phillips joined us from Environment Canada to talk about the extreme cold and all the snow that we got. Bob Irving joined us for a weekly chat on sports. And speaking of sports, John Madden, the legendary football broadcaster and coach, has died at the age of 85. So we spoke about that and about our favorite television broadcasters. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. Loren's back tomorrow. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, December 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off today. Where to begin? Snow, <laughs> cold, testing lineups, restrictions, Jets games postponed. How was Christmas, Greg? Do we start there? We can start there if you want, but maybe you can just make that noise again over and over. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's pretty cold. Uh, thank goodness it's not super windy out there. I I did go for my tea this morning and uh, wanted to start uh, one of my vehicles because uh, I can't find the block heater cord, Brett. Oh, we got a new vehicle in our house a few weeks ago, and uh, I called the dealership yesterday. Do I have a block heater on this thing? Because I can't find the cord. Nobody <laughs> called me back, so I've taken to starting the vehicle every uh, eight or nine hours. So I did that. And uh, cleared off the vehicles and then went and got some tea. And I thought, oh, Jesus, kind of brisk. And thought if there was any sort of wind, it wouldn't be a lot of fun. But at the same time, thought it was uh, not too bad without the wind. So there's that. But snow, snow everywhere. Our good friend Eve sending us a picture this morning out on the roads, uh, clearing us to a little bit more safety. And he says, Brett, there are already 40 cars in line on Nairn Avenue waiting (laughs) to get tested at the COVID-19 testing center there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The lineup's already beginning. Um, Well, hey, I mean, that's prudent, I suppose, if you want to get tested to to get in line early so you don't potentially have to sit, because I know some people are sitting there for up to six hours, maybe longer, so... Uh, We'll get into that in a little bit more in our next segment. But you mentioned Eve. uh, He's out on the roads clearing our streets. And, yeah, the plows were out en masse this morning. They were scraping the roads because I guess what happened is, you know, it snowed and they cleared the streets and then it snowed again and it started to cool off and the snow got hard. Some of the streets were super bumpy. The ruts were brutal in some spots. And that's no fault. I'm Like, I'm not pointing the finger anywhere. That was just the way the, the cookie crumbled with the, the various uh, piles of snow that came down. Uh, so it was good to see the scrapers out. Um, although it was funny, <laughs> and I started chuckling to myself, and then I thought, well, my cabbie probably isn't laughing right now because we pull up to Portage Avenue at uh, Memorial 
heading northbound, where we were about to turn right on Portage, just as one of the big scraper plows comes by and leaves a a windrow. And then a second one came and made the windrow even bigger. (laughs) So the guy in the truck beside us had no problem plowing through it, but my cab driver and his Prius, um, I thought we were going to get hung up, but he made it. He made it. So... You weren't in one of those Hummer taxi cabs that Winnipeg's so famous for? <laughs> no. No. I, I, I'll have to see if, I, if there's an option for that on the, uh, the app. Request the, the Hummer taxi. No. Yeah. So yeah. you had a good couple of days, Brett? Yeah, it was good. It was nice. Um, I predicted uh, last week... Because I bought, uh, we were, when we were talking to Stephen from the Peg, I suggested that I, the Christmas gift that I had might end up in my possession. I wasn't sure if it was going to be big enough. I bought my dad, Smash Gordon, I bought him a hoodie from the Peg, and indeed it was not quite big enough. Um, I was able to get him uh, the appropriate size. They just didn't have it in stock when I bought it, but so I took a gamble on it. Partly, I took the gamble because I knew if it didn't fit him, I would inherit it. So that's what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> you were quite comfortable with the notion of that taking place, I suspect. Well, because I knew I'd get, I'd, if, if, if it didn't fit him, I'd find him something else. Um, but I just figured I'd take a chance. You know, sometimes things fit differently. You never quite know. But uh, No, that's true. So was, what does it look like? Uh, it, give us a, a radio fashion show, Brett McGarry. Well, it's 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 varsity white. So the and it has the the logo is embroidered. Usually the logo is sort of that uh, I don't even know what you call it. And that a sticker would be a pedestrian like a, a, heat, a heat press, yeah. uh, sort of thing. Yeah, there there you go. Um, so this has a nice embroidered logo, and the fact that it's white is actually good because it's going to prevent me from going to the vending machine to buy things like <laughs> Cheetos or a Kit Kat bar. Inevitably, whenever mm-hmm. I have chocolate bars it doesn't matter which chocolate bar i always get it on myself like oh, i yes it just to get that little tiny piece that lands somewhere in your clothes and then smears all over the place yeah well you've been with me when i'm uh wearing a hockey jersey and for years now it has been my tradition my move if you like to take off my hockey jersey whenever i'm eating anything because <laughs> inevitably if i do not it will end up on my jersey somehow, some way. So I'm with you, man. And uh, uh, I like the white as well. It just uh, comes with so many challenges in terms of keeping it clean. And sometimes it's not your own fault. You get stuff splashed on you, sprayed on you. Who knows what happens when you're uh, walking past someone. It almost seems as though... Uh, somebody else could be having a chocolate bar and ends up on your sweatshirt. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we had a situation a couple of months ago, in fact, where Joe Aiello or from Power 97 was getting stuff smeared on his jeans because uh, the person who was in the studio the night before uh, had made a little bit of a mess. But I'm glad I have this sweater. It's super nice. It's super warm and super comfy. And I uh, mean, I brought two bags just full of winter gear for my walk home. I've got my boots. Normally the bag just has my boots and like a pair of wind pants, but now it's boots in one bag, the other bag, long underwear, sweatpants, and snow pants, along with a toque and some giant mitts. Uh, because as you pointed out, thankfully, no wind, but I would not want to be outside for more than no. five minutes. 
No, no, no. Yeah, please do not misconstrue my comments on, ah, this is kind of nice out. That was for a very short amount of time, just as long as I needed to to brush off the uh, off the vehicle. So, yeah, don't don't take any uh, sort of, oh, it's okay to work outside uh, advice from me. No, no, no. I was talking about a total of about 212 seconds. <laughs> and then if, that, if that's how long you got to be outside, that's great. I mean, the, the, the no win- like, I don't mind walking in this as long as I'm bundled up. And sure. I'm minus 30 and no wind, I'll take that. But... Um, that's me going for a, a walk because I choose. Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Matt Abra in for Jeff Forte. What song are you playing there, Matt? I can't hear it. It's called uh, Step Out by Dead Soft. Turn it up a bit. I want to hear I it. I discovered this recently. Step Out? Yeah. By Dead Soft? Well, you know what? That song's apropos because if you're stuck in line for a COVID test, you probably want to step out of your car and run, run, run far away because yesterday, GMAC, um, I went to help my dad shovel snow and I avoided Nairn uh, at all costs on the way out eastbound. I, I took a completely different route and on the way back. I was curious, so I thought, well, westbound traffic shouldn't be affected. And I don't know where the lineup for the COVID test began and where like, or where it ended and where just people stuck in traffic began. But that lineup was backed up to the McDonald's. Um, so that's through two, I think this, the streets in between are Chester and Kent. But that's a long stretch from, of people lined up. That's a long time to be stuck in that lineup. Yeah, no question about it. And that lineup, I was out and about at 8 o'clock yesterday morning, Brett, at the Home Depot at uh, Region and Lajemodier. I had to meet up with my brother to exchange a couple of things. And uh, I thought, eh, I'm out and about now. So I took a drive eastbound down Nairn, and that lineup was almost to the Dufresne Furniture. And then I thought I'd check out the Main Street testing site. And it was lined up not quite to Main Street yet, but it was certainly on Charles all the way uh, just about to Mountain and Winnipeg Police Service would appreciate the media's assistance. This came at 1.38 yesterday afternoon. The media's assistance was requested that members of the public avoid traveling on Nairn Avenue eastbound from Watt Street, except for attendance at the COVID testing site there. We are experiencing traffic congestion in the area and request that people take alternate routes to avoid the area if possible Unless they're there for a test. And then we got a second note at 405, Brett. And where the police said they are requesting the media's assistance in advising members of the public that the COVID testing site on Nairn is at capacity and will not be taking any more persons for COVID tests unless they had an appointment already scheduled for today's date. So that first note, I don't know that I've ever seen a note like that from the police, I guess, as it pertains specifically to this situation. And then to have that follow-up note... um, I, I, I don't know why the Nairn site in particular seems to be the, the the tricky one. I know the lineups on Route 90 have been busy as well, but I know a few people who have tried multiple times to go and get a test, and they finally just said, I'll just make an appointment somewhere else. And uh, it worked out okay that way, so that might be the way to go at this point if you can wait for an appointment, um, because I know if you get an appointment, it sounds like you're in and out in 5, 10 minutes, Greg. 
Yeah, I hadn't heard that. I, that's good to know. But you're still waiting multiple days for those test results. And we're not alone in this. I've been watching news from all across North America over the last couple of days. And in the U.S., they're having issues. There was a story on CFL. Uh, CFL. <laughs> Funny how that seeps in. I've got the uh, 2019 Grey Cup on my TV in front of me right now. <laughs> On on the overnight news here on CJOB is what I'm trying to say. They were talking about how uh, some COVID testing sites in British Columbia were closed unexpectedly. That had more to do with weather than anything else out there. So uh, there are situations, the, the, the lineups for testing are absolutely everywhere. And of course, people trying to get their hands on those coveted rapid tests. That's right. And again, uh, as per Eve this morning already, as this is as of 15 minutes ago, uh, 40 cars waiting to get tested at the uh, site on Nairn. So let us know what you're seeing at the various testing sites. 204-780-6868. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. We can tell you the Nairn Avenue testing site is backed up quite a bit, and the one on Route 90 backed up to Wellington. Sounds like yesterday that one was backed up to all the way to Saskatchewan in the uh, mid-afternoon around 3.30. So the drive through sites are both already very lined up this morning. So Godspeed, I guess, if you're uh, going for a test today. What else are you going to say, right? Yeah. Other than good luck. And uh, somebody was asking, has anybody run out of gas in those lineups? And I've seen at least one or two pictures uh, over the last several days on social media or video of people filling up with jerry cans. So uh, you'll want to probably make sure you have a full tank. Wow. If you're heading out to one of those testing sites, you don't want to run out of gas today. That's for darn sure. What happens if you got to go to the bathroom? Oh boy, that was my experience the first time around, and uh, <clears throat> I'm over 50 now, Brett, and so <laughs> I need a washroom a little more often than, you know, than the younger version of myself might need it, and uh, I had to do some interesting dancing, let's say, because <laughs> there were no, there were no washrooms available at the Main Street uh, site. That was back in the summer, I think it was just before the August long weekend of Oh my gosh, we're going back to 2020 now, right? So, yeah. uh, but I think uh, there are uh, porta potties uh, available closer to the testing sites. I'm sure our listeners know 204 780 6868. And can you imagine if you've got kids with you? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, worse than a road trip to Brandon. <laughs> All right. So, hey, let us know what you're seeing out there 204 780 6868. We thank you very much for joining us this morning on the start and right now gmac i i first learned of this uh based on your text messages this morning as it pertains to a real television legend that's right john madden the super bowl winning head coach of the oakland raiders and legendary nfl broadcaster died unexpectedly tuesday morning he was 85 years old here's more from cnn i have never worked a day in my life I went from player to coach to a broadcaster, and I am the luckiest guy in the world. Super Bowl winning coach, pioneering broadcaster, video game icon. A larger-than-life personality, John Madden was, by any definition, a true original. 
During his 30-year broadcasting career, Madden was widely considered the voice of the National Football League. You have to attack them with the pass, and you have to attack them deep with the pass. His passionate way of calling games with unique catchphrases. Packers came out, they went boom, and they got 10 points. And a love for using a telestrator helped explain the game to hardcore and casual fans across America. He called NFL games for all four major networks, announcing 11 Super Bowls and earning 16 sports Emmys during his time in the broadcast booth. Madden's NFL playing career was short-lived. He was drafted in 1958 by the Philadelphia Eagles, but a knee injury cut it all short. That's when he decided to try his hand at coaching, eventually becoming the youngest head coach in professional football history at the age of 33. In 1977, he led the Oakland Raiders to a Super Bowl victory and is still the franchise's all-time wins leader. Madden was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his coaching career in 2006. Boom! Tough acting, tough acting. Madden was a television advertiser's dream, becoming the pitch man for numerous brands. Let me tell you, Ace is a place for me. In 1988, Madden entered the video game world, lending his voice and name to what's now called Madden NFL. You know, anything that goes that far that fast ought to have dinner and an in-flight movie. His video game is still the most popular football video game ever, selling more than 100 million copies worldwide. Whether it was his video game, his broadcasting career, or as a Hall of Fame coach, his passion for the game is what will always be remembered. Some of us think maybe we will be immortal, that we'll live forever, but and when you really think about it, we're not going to be. But I say this, through this bust, with these guys, in that hall, we will be forever. You're a big video game guy, Brett. John Madden, I think for a lot of non-football fans, is the voice of football through that Madden video game. Over 130 million copies of that game has been sold, and that was as of 2018. That was the latest number I could find, $4 billion worth. So John Madden, highly responsible, I think, for a lot of individuals who maybe were into video games, becoming somewhat expert about the different players and how plays are developed in the NFL and how to build franchises, all the different things you could do in the video games. And Madden was first approached in 94 about that game, but he wouldn't put his name on it till he thought it was as good as it could be. It took EA Sports four years to develop that game before he could say, yep, Boom. Let's go with that. <laughs> I'm just looking at to the the graphical evolution of Madden and the 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 gameplay now in these sports games is so oh. insane and the cool thing about NFL game, I mean they're all great, but the cool thing about the NFL I, like I wish that they used and I yeah, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the first place I remember seeing this camera angle was in the XFL, was where they have that camera on the the crane that sort of go or the rope that kind of goes overhead, where right. it's where they're behind the play, so you can actually see the lanes opening up and stuff because you miss a lot of that when you're watching it from the side on TV. But when you're playing the game, by the looks of it, at least uh, the the, the more newer ones, uh, puts you right down behind the quarterback in the middle of the action. So that gets you, allows you to experience the NFL in a way that you just can't on television. Yeah, well, I've said this before. My my boys absolutely love the NBA. They've been to exactly one NBA game, a preseason game that took place here in Winnipeg between the Timberwolves and the Raptors years ago. Nice. But it's been the video games. 
uh, that's allowed them to really explore the game and for them to understand how the game works. So John Madden just, you know, he was revolutionary on so many fronts as a broadcaster, as a coach. He was a real player's coach. He demanded, he only had three rules, he said, in football in terms of coaching and and they just did, they were just very simple rules. And basically on Sunday, all he asked was go out and give everything that you have. And the guy's record, 103 wins, 32 losses, seven ties, a winning percentage of 76.3% in the regular season. Overall, he was 112, 39 and seven, an absolute legend. And of course, he didn't like to fly much like Bob Irving, who will join us later on this morning. We'll get knuckles and his uh, thoughts on on uh john madden and and the legacy he leaves behind and bob's going to join us coming up at 8 35 a reminder that david phillips from environment canada joins us at 905 and uh we have a text here from somebody saying i'm third in line at the king edward testing site i got here at 5 10 this morning so Oh boy, good luck to you. At least hopefully you'll be out of there by 7.30 maybe, 7.45, after they open their doors at 7. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. We want to continue the conversation we just had. John Madden, legendary broadcaster, legendary NFL coach, has died at the age of 85. And we want to know who is or was your favorite TV broadcaster. Do you have one that you enjoyed? And maybe it wasn't necessarily your favorite, but maybe there's a broadcaster that made you feel like, you know, you made you happy when they were on, made you feel like maybe you were spending time with a friend and it doesn't have to be sports you know it could be a tv host like like a jeff probst from survivor or a game show host or i don't know maybe lavar burton on something like reading rainbow tell us a story 204-780-6868 skylar peters in for cameron poitras today why don't we start with you sir Hey, boys. Uh, are we just going to take up the rest of the show talking about this? Because I feel like I could go for like six segments talking oh. about uh, how many people are on this list. Oh, I've been thinking hard since you uh, told us about this. And man, yeah, what a loss John Madden uh, will be to the football community and the broadcasting community and, and so many of us. But uh, I got to go, uh, first of all, out in Brandon. Uh, Bruce Lubke and Peter Gerlinger uh, were the voice of Brandon Wheat King's games. Uh, when I was a kid on uh, 880 CKLQ, uh, and now Brandon Crow too. Um, so those guys I spent a lot of time with uh, over the airwaves, I guess, uh, listening back when I was a kid. Um, but Ron McLean's got to be it for me. Uh, he uh, came to Brandon for hometown hockey as part of uh, Sportsnet's coverage uh, in 2015, their first year doing it. And uh, me and my best friend Shane uh, were the two kids selected to uh, hop on the panel post-game with him. And it was just an incredible experience. It was blistering cold. It was like minus 35. And we got to sit in the uh, the truck with Ron, watched uh, the third period of the Canucks and Detroit Red Wings game. And he was just like a hockey encyclopedia. This guy knew absolutely everything. He was so nice to Shane and I. And uh, then we got to uh, hop on Sportsnet after and do the three stars. And, and that was the reason I uh, applied for uh, journalism school 
at uh, Lethbridge College and probably the reason I'm here today. So there's uh, there's no other at the top of the list uh, other, for me other than uh, Mr. Ron McLean. So we'll be writing angry letters to Ron McLean blaming him for you? Is that yes. what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ron. <laughs> That's awesome, Skylar. I had no idea. That's a neat story. Jeff Braun, what about you? Uh, my my go-to in, in this one is always uh, David Letterman. He was not only is he one of literally one of the funniest people to have ever lived. He was a, a, a staggeringly good broadcaster. He made something uh, like hosting a talk show is not a, a natural state of anything, and he made that look so simple and so easy and so natural. And uh, all you got to do is watch any other talk show, and you can see you can see the seams pretty easily, especially. Like, I don't know how Jay Leno beat him in the ratings for all those years because Jay Leno was a, came off as a clunky robot and, and Dave was just smooth. He was so natural at it. And it, it was a, a wonder to behold almost every night. I, I, I miss him dearly. I, it was my, one of my favorite shows of all time. Is he still, still doing that show on Netflix? I don't think so. I haven't seen it for a while, but that might, I don't know if that's a pandemic thing or what but who knows all right oh yeah he was he was so so good um matt abra what about you uh well you know during the dark times when there was no winnipeg jets uh i kind of uh, gravitated over towards the pittsburgh penguins and i really got into the play-by-play of mr mike lang who was their uh he was their tv guy and then he was their radio guy but uh, some of you might remember he was famous for his langisms and he just said the most absurd, ridiculous things all the time whenever something Sloppy, good happens. silly, Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch my back with a hacksaw. <laughs> he scores a goal. <laughs> and when they won the Stanley Cup, he said, Lord Stanley, Lord Stanley, get me a brandy. <laughs> like, he just said the most ridiculous things, and I just ate it up, and I loved it. And yeah, he really, he just really brought some gravitas to that game. Oh my goodness, you could you could go on for hours with these langisms, but I will leave it there. Oh well, I'll do one more. He's smiling like a butcher's dog. <laughs> <laughs> that, that dog would be it's happy, a picture, doesn't it? <laughs> That's great, Matt. Uh, Mackling, what about you? Uh, well, uh, Brett, I told you I was up very early this morning and I was watching uh, 30 for 30 on John Daly, which was uh, absolutely exceptional. I've seen it a couple of times now, but immediately following was the 1990 Grey Cup featuring the Blue Bombers and the uh, Edmonton football team. The Bombers won 50 to 11, but at the helm of the broadcast was the legendary Don Whitman. And any game Don called, any event he called was memorable just for how professional he was, how accurate it was, how he encapsulated things. But in a very, as excited as he got, he always kept it within the lines, I thought, and was just uh, easily the best television sports broadcaster in Canadian history. Scott Oak is a close second for me, but uh, Don Whitman, everything from his call of Ben Johnson's uh, ultimately fruitless uh, run for a gold medal in Seoul in 88 to Donovan Bailey's track and field uh, football, hockey. Of course, he worked uh, on CJOB for a time as well as a commentator, color commentator here on our radio uh, radio station. So Don Whitman gets my vote. All right. And for me, uh, it would be... Skylar... Definitely won't remember this music, but Greg, you'll remember this. Written by John Tetch. Yeah, John Tetch from Entertainment Tonight. 
uh, wrote the NBA on NBC theme. Uh, but so I've spent years watching basketball on uh, NBC, and my favorite team. Everybody, I'm Marv Albert, along with the czar of the telestrator, Mike Fratello. We welcome you to the NBA Game of the Week. Marv Albert and Mike Fratello, and uh, that game, that particular recording came from Sunday, January 24th, 1993. Chicago Bulls versus the San Antonio Spurs. I guarantee you I watched that game. Uh, Spurs won it, by the way, 103 to 99. But I spent so much time watching the NBA on NBC, and they were my favorite. And uh, uh, when that team sort of when that broadcasting team parted ways, I was sad. So you can text us at 204-780-6868, your favorite TV broadcasters. Jets Wednesday for South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. So plenty of off-ice discussion around the hometown Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose, Brett, as the only thing happening at the rink right now is practice kelly moore is of course sports director and jets game day host here at 680 cjob merry christmas happy new year kelly moore and the same to you mr mackling and mr mcgarry well we've been talking before we jump into this uh conversation around the jets and the moose here we've been talking about our favorite television broadcasters If, if memory serves is it jim robson for you both tv and radio kel all time bar none uh the uh he was my inspiration for getting involved in this industry in the first place absolutely fantastic uh jim yeah. robson and the it, voice of the vancouver canucks yeah. for, for so many years yeah i i grew up on the on the west coast uh manitoba is my home now but uh, as a as an impressionable youngster uh and and i was like you gmac uh, the old transistor was under the uh, the bed sheets and the pillow uh many a night listening to jim robson yeah yeah far too many uh mornings uh where you paid the price for that but it was well worth it to keep in touch with what was going on with the favorite team. So three games now postponed for the Jets this week. If I've got the math right, Kelly, can you update the latest postponements for us? Sure. We're, and we're up to a grand total of seven now, uh, Greg, uh, when you factor in the, uh, you know, the games that were supposed to be played in Nashville and Dallas just before Christmas. And then, of course, uh, the home games against Minnesota and Chicago were postponed. Uh, that Chicago game was supposed to be played tonight. And then yesterday, uh, the league announced that they were going to postpone a total of nine games involving Canadian-based teams. Ten overall, but nine of them because of attendance restrictions in Canada. And uh, three of those nine games involve the Jets. Their Friday night visit to Calgary on New Year's Eve uh, will no longer be played uh, on the date that it was intended. And then there are also a couple of home games uh, early in the New Year, guys, on Saturday, January 8th, the first ever visit by the Seattle Kraken, and then Monday, January the 10th uh, against the Minnesota Wild. If the Jets had played those games as scheduled, there wouldn't have been anybody in the stands as a result of these uh, current restrictions uh, uh, that were under from Manitoba Health. Uh, So uh, the league had decided that uh, enough revenue uh, was lost last year playing in empty arenas. Uh, They're going to uh, do their best to uh, reallocate those games during what was supposed to be the Olympic break. 
So then how are the Jets taking advantage of this time as uh, Dave Lowry, for example, gets some bonus time to put his fingerprints on his team? No kidding, Mr. McGarry. No kidding. Yeah, they practiced the last three days, actually, and uh, uh, I wasn't able to be there. Uh, I am, uh, full uh, disclosure, I'm just awaiting uh, COVID test results uh, going back to Christmas Eve. So uh, we've been isolating ever since then. So, uh, But I, I've been following along through various contacts, and they were... Uh, industrious practices uh, as the players Paul Stasny mentioned yesterday if you can't uh, play uh, then you certainly need to practice as if you were playing uh, so uh, it's it from that point of view it's been a benefit I guess from the other point of view uh, Andrew Kopp and Christian Veselainen have been in COVID protocol since December 21st they're not considered eligible by the team to return until January the 2nd so this uh, break in the action uh, kind of benefits the Jets from that perspective as well because those two guys will be eligible to return uh, when the Jets play next on Sunday afternoon in Vegas, barring any further changes. And, boy, that's uh, that, that, that has to be the appropriate disclaimer right now with what's been going on. Uh, and also, uh, if those games uh, you know, are moved to the Olympic break, which we uh, presume they will be, then there's a good chance Blake Wheeler might be back playing by then. Yeah, it's interesting how all these machinations of the schedule may work out for the benefit of the Jets here, Uh, uh, Kelly. And and obviously, we hope that everything uh, turns out A-OK for you and uh, everyone in your household. Uh, Didn't realize you were waiting for for test results here. So uh, Godspeed, my friend. Uh, Jets defenseman Neil Pionk. Had quite the adventure getting back to Winnipeg after spending some time at home in Minnesota over the Christmas break. You want to share that with us, Kel? Oh man, I'll tell you, they uh, they might be referring to him as John Candy, although I don't know if any of the uh, uh, the players would catch on to that or not. Yeah, he uh, had gone down to uh, his uh, his hometown of Hermantown, Minnesota, to spend the holidays and uh, had scheduled a COVID test for December the 23rd because you have to have a negative test within 72 hours of re-entering Canada. So he thought he had all his bases covered, took the uh, test on December the 23rd, uh, uh, but uh, thought, you know what, I better drive as close to the border as I possibly can just to make sure when the test results come through uh, that I'm not losing any uh, hours because it's about a four and a half hour drive from Hermantown uh, to Grand Forks. So uh, I, he, he kept on referencing we. So I'm going to speculate that it was he and his fiance uh, who he was referring to. Uh, so anyway, they, uh, they arrived in Grand Forks on Christmas Day. Uh, there were no tests available. Uh, and uh, they tried uh, like crazy for the next two days to try to get a test. He said they, they even went to the ER of the Grand Forks Hospital and were turned away because I guess they were asymptomatic. They finally found a pharmacy on uh, Monday, December the 27th uh, that could do a 30-minute turnaround on the results. So once they had the, uh, the results, they were able to get across the border but then, of course, uh, they uh, had to drive the other 90 minutes up 75 in a virtual blizzard. So uh, the, uh, the the end story is after an unscheduled two-day pit stop in Grand Forks, uh, they finally arrived uh, in Winnipeg uh, just uh, right around lunchtime, I guess it was. Neil did skate on his own uh, at 1.30 
that day. But yesterday, the 28th, uh, he practiced with the team and, uh, and, and got an earful, but he was okay with that. <laughs> Teammates are the best and the worst, eh, Cal? Oh, well, yeah, it's, you know, there's no doubt about it that they were all fretting uh, that, uh, you know, he was going to be okay because, as you guys well know, the conditions on Monday were absolutely horrendous. Uh, But uh, by the same token, though, I mean, you can't let a teammate off the hook. So uh, some of the samples included, uh, oh, you have an ice break, Uh, go somewhere warm. Have lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, the Manitoba Moose, they've also had to press pause on uh, the schedule, including the ever-popular New Year's Eve game. When are the Moose going to get back on the ice for some game action? Well, a- a- as it stands right now, uh, and the last I looked, their they're January 2nd and 4th games versus Iowa uh, are still scheduled to be played. Now, they would have to be played uh, in, uh, in, in an empty arena. Uh, but, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, those games have not been postponed by the American hockey league yet. You know, it, it's such a fluid situation that, uh, <laughs> you're, you're always adding disclaimers and there's this, uh, you know, there's this kind of, uh, tacit, well, you know, things could change, but, uh, for the time being, those games are still scheduled to be played on Sunday uh, afternoon at two and next Tuesday after or Tuesday evening, rather at four o'clock against the Iowa wild. Kelly Moore. Thank you for making uh, some time for us this morning. Hope you're feeling better soon. And uh, we look back, look forward to getting back to some normalcy as it pertains oh. to the national <laughs> hockey league schedule. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. But you know what? You just roll with the punches guys. That's all you can do. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back tomorrow. Bob Irving joins us for our weekly sports chat at 835. Usually joins us on Mondays, but we weren't here on Monday, so he's going to join us today. David Phillips from Environment Canada coming up after Global News at 9 to talk more about that extreme cold that we're facing. Uh, and not just Manitoba, but like much of Western Canada, the entire province of Alberta is under an extreme cold warning. So uh, the weather is not good. Winter is uh, making its presence felt. So we'll get more on that after 9 o'clock. But right now, record case numbers, frustration with testing ability, testing availability, and changing policy on when those with COVID can return to work are just some of the stories we're following in connection with the pandemic this morning. And Brent, I think it's safe to say, don't think too many of us imagined that we would be seeing some of the most trying times of this almost two-year-long pandemic occurring over the past couple of weeks. Manitoba is an example. 6,546 active cases, at least that that we know of, with the province out of a total of 76,539 cases over the course of the pandemic. Raywat Dianandan, epidemiologist at the University of Ottawa, joins us now. Raywat, good morning. Good morning. So record case numbers, uh, and, and case numbers not haven't always been the numbers we've been focused on, but what role do case numbers play when you analyze where we are and where we could be heading? Well, uh, case numbers tell us where we are on the wave. Are we going up? Are we at the top? Are we coming down? 
They tell us how likely it is that people in your vicinity, in your community are infected, therefore how risky it is to have an unvaccinated child, for example. And they tell us um, other metrics, like what is the proportion of cases that end up hospitalized, the proportion that end up uh, dead, and so forth. So they're not without utility. They're probably less important as every day goes by, as we enter the endemicity phase of this epidemic sometime next year probably but right now case numbers are important and it's troubling that we can't get accurate ones. Now the frustration with the lack of available pcr testing and rapid tests is happening all over north america a couple of examples where they stockpiled rapid tests are saskatchewan and alberta how did other places not see the advantages of making sure these were available it's a good question. Uh, rapid tests have been possibly the most underutilized tool during the past two years. And w- there's been calls by experts to use them more uh, effectively and uh, with more volume for months now. I think the slowness to adopt them in North America, as opposed to Europe, is that it was unclear how best to use them. And rapid tests are great for determining if you're infectious at a given moment, not that great for determining if you're infected. And there was concern that that's a message that's too confusing for a general public so there was some reticence to to make it readily available can you explain the difference uh, ray watt because uh, i think uh, at first blush uh, those two things seem very similar they're clearly different they're different words right so you can't be infectious unless you're infected but just because you're infected doesn't mean you're infectious so the pcr test is very sensitive it can find bits of virus that are so um uh, a low concentration, but they don't really pose that much of a threat to your health or to other people around you. They can find that. Um, the rapid antigen test, on the other hand, only finds a positive finding if there is sufficient viral load to trigger that finding. And if it's that high, then you're probably a threat to other people. So the rapid antigen test, um, on that given day where you were tested, if you test positive, you shouldn't be around other people. Um, on the other hand, if you test negative, you still might have the virus, just that you're not have you don't have sufficient viral load to to be infecting other people on that day. So if you get a rapid test, or if you administer a rapid test on yourself and it turns up negative, but you're feeling not necessarily all that great, uh, should we be seeking out a PCR test, or should we be staying away from those lineups? Well, the PCR tests are rare, so I wouldn't seek out a PCR test. Now, Omicron has changed the game a little bit. With Omicron, especially if you're vaccinated, it's possible to have symptoms before you've got sufficient viral load to register a positive test on a rapid test. This is confusing. And and the reason for that is, you know, um, that's how vaccines work. They allow your body to produce symptoms in response to uh, identified threat. Um, So if you have symptoms and you take a rapid test right away, it is likely to be negative on that first day. Consider yourself positive, though. Think of yourself as a positive case. Isolate. Don't see anybody. The next day, do a rapid test. Then, if you're infected, you're far more likely to test positive. Um, And every day that goes by, the probability of a rapid test finding it um, gets higher. There there are some trying to flip the conversation a little bit here, Raywat, with regard to Omicron and the role that it's playing right now, and also the overall effectiveness of the vaccines. You've got people suggesting, you know, that we've gone in the last month from from this being a, a virus and and the spread being responsible by the unvaccinated, and to now because so many people are testing positive that are double vaxxed, uh, that this is now a, a virus or or a sickness of the vaccinated. Can, can you just clear that up a little bit for us? 
Oh, absolutely. It is not a sickness of the vaccinated. It is still a crisis for the unvaccinated. That's who's filling up the hospitals. The reason that Omicron is presenting itself as milder than Delta is two reasons. One is that intrinsically, it probably is a little bit milder. That's what some analyses out of the UK are finding. But more importantly, because Omicron is more likely to render a breakthrough infection, more likely to cause infection amongst the vaccinated, uh, as compared to Delta, it means the people that Omicron infects are more likely to have a milder case than the people Delta infected, because Delta has a little effect on the vaccinated. It's vaccination that is protecting all these people. It's vaccination that is keeping the hospitalization rates down. That's everything. If more people get vaccinated, we don't have anything resembling the crisis we have now in terms of our understaffed and overworked hospital system. Raywat, before we let you go, I just wanted to uh, to mention as well that I've been enjoying your uh, Twitter account of late. You know, you've 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 been rather passionate on your social media with some of the things that you've been sharing. What's driving that uh, that passion and making sure that the messages continue to be shared? I think um, people are getting fatigued, and also this might be the last great battle of the COVID pandemic. It might be, and what I. And I'm also concerned for kids under five. We forget about the kids under five, and I have one. And so there's a tendency to say, let her rip. Let's get everyone get this disease right away and get herd immunity that way. No, we have to protect the kids under five as long as we can and preserve the healthcare system. So I want to get that message across that there's still a large segment of the population who we must protect. Raywat, normally we do a, a business uh, segment on the other side of our traffic and weather, uh, but it doesn't look like we're going to necessarily do that. I have one last question, if you don't mind. What do you make of some of these changes being contemplated with regard to asymptomatic positive persons returning to the workplace more quickly? The CDC talking about five days, but it, it, it sort of seems as though this is based on pressure uh, from airlines uh, in particular in the States. And then we're seeing some provinces here in Canada making the same consideration for healthcare workers. Does that concern you at all? It, it does concern me for a couple of reasons. First is that the data is based on Delta data. It's not based on Omicron data that much. Second is it, yeah, I think this is uh, the result of pushback from certain private sector uh, concerns. And third is we may get there eventually. If we run out of tests entirely, then we have to manage this symptomatically, but we're not quite there yet. We still have rapid tests in abundance that we could use strategically. So what we should be doing is if you test positive and you're asymptomatic, wait until you test negative on a rapid test twice in a 24-hour period before you go back to work. You don't necessarily need a PCR test. We can preserve the PCR test for other more critical uh, purposes. So there's a lot of anger in the scientific circles about the CDC recommendations. Um, You don't want to be sitting next to someone on a bus who tested positive yesterday just because they're asymptomatic. The probability of them being transmissing is, is low, but it's not zero. Um, So long as we have rapid tests, let's use them strategically and to great effect. And this is the ideal scenario for using them. Raywat Dionand, an epidemiologist at the University of Ottawa, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Raywat, thank you very much. We appreciate this. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. She will be back tomorrow. Just want to give a shout and thanks to our engineer, Mike Thought he was supposed to be off this week, but uh, he 
was in early this morning. He says he was out at the uh, the transmitter site, one of our transmitter sites, at 3 a.m. because of the power outages. We referenced a power outage earlier in the Headingley area, and he says it knocked out uh, or it affected the transmitter for Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1. So Mike was oh out there boy. in this cold dealing oh, with man. our transmitter at 3 in the morning. So a good start to the day for Mike. I have visions of him climbing up the transfer. He probably didn't have to do that, but in my mind, that's what he does every single time there's an issue out there. So uh, Mike and Sarah and John, our engineering crew, they are second to none, and I'm grateful for them every single day, whether we are on the air or not. They never give us a hassle when we call them in the middle of the night to fix something. They are tremendous teammates, and uh, a happy new year uh, goes out to all three of them as they uh, keep us doing what we're doing every single day, Brett. Also, just want to quickly mention this before we bring on our next guest, uh, because we've been giving you updates on the COVID testing lineups, and we, the one on Nairn is backed up almost, if not to the overpass, uh, the one on Route 90. Uh, we've heard it's gone as far back as Dublin. And uh, somebody weighing in on the one at Research Road, one Research Road just off of Chancellor Matheson, and this person got there just after 7, over one hour, standing in line outside, um, got in the building for one minute and was explained and handed a rapid test kit Uh, but they say that the lineup appears to be a much smaller now maybe about 20 minutes in that lineup so let us know what you're seeing at 204-780-6868 and now joining us this morning is a guy who kind of likes to talk about sports and is pretty good at it too we say good morning to bob irving hello there bob Good morning, you guys. I'm in Charleswood, and the power's out, and the temperature's rapidly dropping in our house, so uh, I might be heading out the door and jumping in a car and going somewhere after I do this. But uh, maybe uh, Manitoba Hydro can, you know, get working on it and get the power back up here in Charleswood. Yeah, it looks like there are uh, roughly uh, 340 people affected by that uh, particular outage, so hopefully not too much longer there, Bob. Um, But... there's a little there's a little quadrant here that uh, we're on the edge of because the houses across the street from us all have their power, but we don't. And there's this little quadrant here that when the power goes out, we're all affected. I was out for my walk this morning, just around seven o'clock, and I went around this one bay where I walk every morning, and the power went out, and I couldn't believe how dark it got. And I'm walking along, and I couldn't even see where I was walking because the street lights and everything went out, and it was just kind of an eerie, weird experience. Uh, I was able to stumble along and then get to a point where the power, you know, a point in the area where the power was on, and I could see again, but it was kind of a strange experience. And hey, Bob, I think we have an opening uh, uh, for news reporters uh, at Global <laughs> News if you're looking for something to do. <laughs> no, it's Okay. Okay. And how was, the, how was the sidewalk situation? Are they Have they been cleared? Well, we don't have sidewalks in Charleswood. So, oh, uh, you know, you, just, <laughs> you walk on the street, right? Uh, and, yeah, and the streets haven't been cleared yet. Well, the main ones have, but most of the side ones haven't, as it is the way across the city, I'm sure. All right. So let's talk some sports here. Uh, Bob, thank you for that. That, that uh, You painted a really uh, kind of a neat picture. It would have been sort of fun to be out there uh, at that yeah. time. But uh, the Winnipeg Jets, you know, given the postponements that they're facing, they're getting some bonus time with their new head coach. Yeah, I guess that's the positive, Brett, to the whole thing. I heard Kelly at 735 talking about what they're going through and all the games that have been postponed and 
possibly more to come, and they do have a window to make those up without putting a lot of extra strain on the players, and that's that Olympic window in February. But uh, challenging times because the players now will have gone a long period of time without playing, and I suppose if you believe that practice can make you better, and most coaches do believe that, and players to, to a lesser degree, you know, they can improve on some things. But I know they're all itching to, to get back out there and play, and you just don't know – you know, where this is going to end, there will undoubtedly be more postponements slash cancellations of NHL games. You look at the way the numbers are escalating, the COVID numbers, the Omicron numbers in the U.S. And, you know, they had some NHL games in American cities last night. But at what point do they decide that these might not be the, you know, the best things to stage at this point? There was a great tweet this morning from Jack Todd, who used to write in the Montreal Gazette, he says the U.S. will have 300,000 cases and 2,000 deaths today, and we're still seeing both college and NFL games with tens of thousands of unmasked fans screaming in packed stadiums. And we all know that the Americans take a different view of this than we do, but uh, I thought that was a great tweet, and it just makes you wonder if the cases keep multiplying the way they are, what effect does it have on the NFL? The US, some of the U.S. college bowl games have been postponed already. Uh, you know, the NBA, which plays indoors, can they keep going on? And the teams in the NBA have lost players. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens played a game, I think, on the weekend where they had to pull a quarterback sort of off the street almost to run their team. So the impact on sports that uh, these expanding Omicron cases are having we may just be seeing the, the tip of the iceberg now. And I guess the next few days and weeks will tell us. But, uh, man, oh, man, I remember March the 8th, 2020, we had come back from a, a southern trip, and, and it was just exploding. COVID was exploding at that point, and we all thought, well, you know, this will be gone in, in you know, two or three months, and this is, the CFL season should be able to start as scheduled. Well, here we are almost two week, two years later, and, it's not getting any better, is it? No, it, it's bizarre. My dad and I had a conversation about that yesterday, about the attitude in the United States and how, you know, his friends, uh, my dad used to spend the winters in Arizona and how they're, you know, they've just sort of moved on. They've decided that this is over. And so you wonder uh, yeah. what it would take for them to make some massive changes with regard to spectators indoors and out, Bob. But uh, you know, I want to talk about the Blue Bombers real quick here. They have some work to do. We yeah. know on the player front, we discussed this with you last week, but they've extended Ted Gavia, who had an interview with the Edmonton Elks with regard to their opening at general manager. Danny McManus also signing a, an extension with the Blue Bombers. For those that don't know, what is their job with the team and how critical a part of the Blue Bombers' success over the last four, five years is attributable to those two gentlemen? Well, they both hold the title, Greg, of assistant general managers to Kyle Walters. They are the guys who find the talent out there, the American talent in particular. And Danny Mack, Danny McManus is responsible for that. Ted Govey as well, although he works to a degree on the Canadian content. But uh, I, I referenced two players, Dietrich Nichols and DeAndre Alford, who played so well in the bar secondary last year, and both of whom are getting NFL workouts now because they caught the eye of NFL teams this season. They were found by... Ted Govai and Danny McManus. Uh, the players that are brought in here that are found at free agent camps or guys who, you know, s slip through the cracks somehow, that's what those two do. 
And they've done a great job of it. They really have. And I pointed out before, the Bombers have drafted more successfully than any team in the CFL the last five years. And that's just a credit to, you know, the, the people who are the managers, assistant managers of the Bombers, who don't get a lot of exposure, a lot of glory for what goes on, but they find the talent and bring it in here. And it's one of the reasons the Bombers have won back-to-back Grey Cups. Now, the next thing we need to hear is some key player signings, and I expect we will uh, early in the new year. Today, we're speaking with Bob Irving, our weekly sports chat. And, Bob, we wanted to ask you about the World Juniors in the midst of the preliminary round. Uh, Big win over Austria last night. Are these games against the non-hockey powers of the world uh, required uh, to be good for the development of the game in countries like Australia? That's a very good question, Brett. And it comes up every year during this tournament. Is it necessary for teams like Austria to play Canada and get beat 11-2 or whatever the final score was? And is it uh, promoting growth of the sport in Austria? I, I don't have the answer for that. All I know is it's unfortunate. You know, I watched that game last night uh, for, I don't know, the first period, a bit of the second, and I w- kept going back and forth to it just to see how bad it was getting for the poor Austrians. And Really, there's nothing appealing about a game like that, but it happens every year in the World Juniors because there's one or two countries, although, you know, some of the countries, Germany in particular and Switzerland in recent years, have really improved and they've become more competitive uh, and they lose most of their games, but at least they're closer games. Uh, But the one like last night, uh, it doesn't do any good, I I think, for the sport. To me, the Canadian team just in the third period just kind of coasted. They backed off a little bit. Cole Perfetti, the Jets prospect, had another three-point game. He's got six points in two games. And, of course, Connor Bedard, the 16-year-old phenom, had four goals. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what you do about this. As long as the International Ice Hockey Federation feels that it's worthwhile to have five teams in each pool, uh, I think we're going to see this. Uh, But the question arises every year, should we have the teams that really aren't competitive involved and I don't know what's going to happen down the road in that regard. You mentioned the IHF, Bob, under some scrutiny for its decision to cancel women's tournaments, in particular the U18 tournament. Meanwhile, it goes on, uh, obviously modified in Edmonton. Uh, Bad move and a bad look for the IIHF. And some people also calling to question, you know, how much money should be spent in terms of uh, producing uh, the men's game versus the women's game on the international level in, in order to to draw some genuine comparisons between the two and their popularity? Well, the International Ice Hockey Federation really is in, you know, under the microscope now in terms of that decision. And it, I suppose to a large degree, and this is what a lot of people feel, it comes down to money. You know, the World Junior Tournament is a very, World Junior Men's Tournament is a very successful economic tournament it raises a lot of money although not so much now this year because they've had to reduce capacities for crowds in in the games in alberta so covid as usual changes everything so i think to a large degree it comes down to finances i know what they're doing right now is the international ice hockey federation is encouraging the americans to take over and host a a world under 18 women's tournament after the one in Europe was canceled and they're kind of throwing the gauntlet down to the U S ice hockey federation saying, why don't you guys take it over and, and host it? So I don't know what will come of that. Back to the world juniors now though, in Alberta, 
you know, there's a, I guess, a question to a degree of whether or not they can finish the tournament, uh, depending on what happens with the Americans who had to forfeit a game yesterday to Sweden because they had a couple of players test positive. What if COVID runs rampant through some of these teams now in the next few days and games have to be canceled? Are they even going to be able to complete the tournament? So, uh, you know, there's just so many unanswered questions and, you know, they're all related to COVID in one way or another. The, the cancellation of the world under 18 women's was partly COVID related. So, you know, it just is altering everything in the world. You know, I was thinking too, if I might just go off in another direction about curling, you know, we had to cancel, they had to cancel the Canadian mixed doubles curling in Port of the Prairie that was to start this week. And what about the Scotties and the Briar, which are coming up here very soon now? You know, I think if you look down the road, the Scotties are supposed to start late in January, I think in Thunder Bay. You know, there's a very, very real possibility the way this thing is going that those events are going to have to be wiped out too. So though, for all the people who sit, like to sit back and watch curling in the winter, uh, they're going to be impacted. Uh, so sports fans are—I won't say the word suffering because that's too strong a word—but sports fans in the winter who love to watch their jets and their curling or whatever. Uh, this is a tough time for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Bob, before we let you go, we've been talking about our favorite TV broadcasters. And I was watching the 1990 Grey Cup very early this morning on the Classic Station. I think it started at 2 o'clock. Don Whitman and Scott Oak both in on the broadcast. Two of my faves for sure. How about you? Well, I was a big fan of Witt because he could do he could do everything, you know. And Don did curling, he did football, he did track and field. I heard you guys talking about his call of Ben Johnson's win, which is one of the great calls in all of sports history, in my opinion. And Don could do that. He was just so versatile. Uh, he did the Canadian Football League with Ronnie Lancaster. I thought the two of them were a tremendous combination. And then John Madden passed away, and he had Pat Summerall. Uh, we're so good together. And Madden worked for all four American TV networks doing the National Football League and became larger than life as a commentator as opposed to a coach. And he has the best winning percentage in NFL history of coaches who've coached more than 100 games. And yet he's best known for his commentary uh, on the games and his his video game, you know, the Madden video game. So he reached iconic status, not because he was such a great coach, but because of his work in broadcasting, but yeah, he was, he was terrific. Lots of them over the years, Greg, but those are some that stand out for me. All right, Bob, I'm being taken a task for asking you to stick around for a second segment after you pointed out that the power is out and your house is cold. Someone (laughs) vehemently jumping to your defense, basically telling me to go to hell. So uh, Bob, thank you for joining us this morning and for sticking around for a second segment. We appreciate it, sir. Uh, Nothing else to do until the power comes back on. Go Manitoba Hydro, go. (laughs) Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off today. She'll be back tomorrow and Friday. And then Greg's going to be off tomorrow and Friday. That's right, Greg. You're just in for the one day and then it's back off for another five days. Greg, are you there? I don't know how I got. Am I back? Am I here? Am uh, I you're back? there. You're there now. Perfect, perfect. I found a way to mute my microphone. I just forgot to turn it back on. Um <laughs> Yes, I'm going to take the uh, the days and, and uh, run with them. That's a, an accurate description of what's happening. And then I think you're off Tuesday. Yeah. And then we're all back together on Wednesday for the 
foreseeable future at least. Yep, that's right. I know that Loren's got some days she's got to burn before the end of February, and so do I. But uh, <laughs> uh, in the meantime, the, the musical chairs game continues through the holidays, and um, I'm looking, you know, you're going to enjoy hunkering down, I suppose, Greg, because the cold over the next several days is going to keep things interesting for many of us. Yeah, as they clean up the city streets, sidewalks, back lanes, also something we will be keeping our eyes on. Uh, David Phillips is Senior Climatologist with Environment and uh, Climate Change Canada. Joins us now, David Phillips, a belated Merry Christmas and an early Happy New Year to you, sir. Well, thank you, guys. So, so appreciate that. And you pass my greetings on, of course, to Loren. Uh, consider it done, David. We okay. had the uh, scene snow falling off and on in Manitoba through the beginning part of the holidays here, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and into Boxing Day. Just how much snow did we get? Well, I mean, it was a welcomed amount of, of snow. First of all, it also kept the cold around. I mean, uh, I mean, Monday it was like minus ten in in Winnipeg. I mean, that's three degrees warmer than normal, and you're hearing about all that cold. You were left out of the cold, uh, uh, and then of course yesterday. Wow, that was a, a real cold uh, day, the coldest of the of the winter. But that's going to be topped by today, where you see highs of uh, thirteen degrees colder than you normally expect, and and we'll. See a minus 34 probably tomorrow morning, but you got that snow, and a system from Montana came through and uh, and brought um, across to the the province anywhere from you know 18 centimeters in Brandon. I think in in Winnipeg, I mean you can vary from one part of the city to the other. I think anywhere from between 10 and 20 centimeters of, of snow fell, and so that was a real a real pick me up type of of, of uh, event, and because uh, we need that, and uh, so and. And, of course, we see the snow sitting on the ground right now in many parts of, um, of Winnipeg, maybe about 20, 23, 24 centimeters of snow. So some of that has settled, the new snow that came um, on Boxing Day and, and uh, on Monday. Uh, but, um, hey, it's uh, certainly welcome, guys. And how does this snowfall affect our moisture deficit? Well, it's a good point. I mean, every little flake of snow is is good news, uh, and um, and when you look at the the year, I, I counted, looked at the. I'm always keeping track of that that deficit. How much do we have to make up? And and really, the last three months, guys, have really been um, a godsend for for ranchers and farmers and anybody wanting that moisture uh, because when I looked at the numbers uh, this year we know that the, the the drought the moisture deficit is going on for for two three years but if you just look at 2021 from January to September there was about a deficit of about 140 millimeters so that is what's short of what you normally would have got in that nine months but in the last three months October November December uh, snowfall totals have been about maybe 40% more than you normally would get. And precipitation, the, the snow melted plus any rain, would be about 60% more than normal. So of that 140 millimeters of deficit, you've made up over 50 millimeters. So you're headed in the right direction. I mean, I said earlier that you need a monsoon. Well, you're not going to get a monsoon to, to correct that deficit. But uh, we are moving in the right direction because this, these are really sometimes the driest times in the wintertime. It's just too cold. There's not much moisture. So um, I think that system that came through Boxing Day was really kind of a, a Christmas gift for, for people who really depend on that moisture. So I, we, um, we think it will be mo- our models, and we're never very good guys with our pre- 
precipitation forecasts in long term over two months, three months. But they're all saying, you know, more than normal. And with cooler than normal, it means maybe more snow. So you're going to also be in better shape, shoveling, plowing, and pushing the, the snow. But that's <laughs> going to be the, the benefit of that will be felt in the, uh, in the spring. And uh, not so much that there should be flood issues, but certainly a good, uh, a good amount of moisture for the, the soil that needs it. If you don't recognize his voice, David Phillips is our guest, senior climatologist with ECCC. And uh, well, next on the agenda, you touched on it, cold. We have yeah. that extreme cold warning in effect right now. How long is that extreme cold going to stick around, David? Well, you know, you, you shouldn't feel that you've been really brutalized like people in Alberta, Saskatchewan and parts of um, parts of British Columbia. We have now extreme cold warnings out for Western Canada from covering five provinces and including Ontario and uh, and one territory. So it is and see the guys like uh, the, the cold is like it's so thick and it's so dense that it's hard to kick it out. It's hard to displace it. And it just sits there like I, I think like a like a, a, a sumo wrestler, and you know, you just can't move it. It's immovable. And so it's come finally now to, to Manitoba, although this morning I saw the warmest spot in the province was Churchill. So go figure that out. But anyways, I, I think that uh, certainly it looks like the cold is going to, uh, we're in for the long haul. I, I think that we see a, a bit of a warm up on Sunday where it's minus 15 instead of minus 13. So, hey, that's a couple of degrees below normal, but but certainly not the, the 12 or 13 degrees. And, you know, places out west in, in Edmonton and Calgary, they were more like 24 degrees colder than normal. Not, not a dozen degrees cold to the normal. So I think you should feel lucky that it's been a little later. We had such a warm September, October, November, and even December, guys. I mean, you won't believe this, but it's actually still a, a warmer than normal right now. If you stuck a thermometer in December into Winnipeg, it would say, oh, we're still warmer than normal. Another warm month. Now, I think that's going to change. The next three days will make it probably about a half a degree cooler than normal, but not like the six or seven degrees colder than normal in places to the west. So my sense is the, the January forecast looks colder than normal, but you're already acclimatized to it. It won't be something brutal. But here's here's a hope uh, that, that we follow normals because in a sense, we've two-thirds of the Januaries in Winnipeg have had a January thaw. So, you know, to think about the fact that you could get melting and not freezing, thawing and not, uh, uh, not, not uh, brutally cold conditions, I think gives you hope that, hey, this is maybe in for the long haul, but there will be moments where it will be rather pleasant. David Phillips, before we let you go, um, there was a snow game in the NFL last season in Seattle, Washington, of all places. Several major highways and interstates closed in the western states. And at Lake Tahoe, there was so much snow at the ski resort, they actually had to shut things down for a couple of days. So we're just wondering, what sort of weather oddities might Mother Nature have under her sleeve for the final few days of 2021? My hope this year was my 50 years of working here. I've never seen a year like this. I mean, from one corner of the country to the other, um, it was just absolutely a head shaker. Um, I hope, my, my hope this year is for a boring year weather-wise. 
Boring is good. You know, you don't want the extremes. And, and you think about from one extreme, from the warmest temperatures we've ever seen to some of the coldest at the end of the year that we've ever seen. I mean, it talk about um, upside down and wacky. I mean, that's about as extreme as you're going to, to get. So my hope is we'll go back to something that's normal. I think the best weather is normal weather. Uh, and well, we still talk about it because we're Canadians, but my sense is it doesn't have the impacts on us. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think I could spend an hour talking about the weird, wild and wacky weather of 2021. And, uh, you know, I, I think it continues. But um, I think um, my hope is that Mother Nature is exhausted, takes a break, and, uh, and we benefit from that kind of condition. David Phillips from Environment Canada, Senior Climatologist, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Phillips, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye now. 9.15 with Mackling and McGarry. Just want to give you a heads up. We just got word from the city of Winnipeg that the extended snow route parking ban has been lifted. So that means it went into effect at midnight yesterday morning. It's now been lifted. but the So that's the, the ban that extends it from midnight to 7 a.m. But the annual snow route parking ban still in effect from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. on streets marked as snow routes, which means you cannot park uh, on those streets between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. Extreme cold warning in effect for most of southern Manitoba, including the city of Winnipeg. Mainly sunny today with a high of minus 26. A few clouds tonight down to minus 34. The wind chill around minus 44. Mainly cloudy tomorrow. Good chance of flurries with a high of minus 23. Friday, sunny and minus 26. At the Forks, it's minus 29. Feels like minus 37. And at the airport... Pretty similar. It, oh, I, I, you know what? I've got Churchill open here because David Phillips said uh, Churchill was the warmest spot in Manitoba. Minus 17 in Churchill. In Winnipeg at the airport, it's minus 30. Feels like minus 42 outside 680 CJOB. <laughs> I was curious to know what it was. That, that warning does not apply to northern Manitoba. It applies only oh. to southern Manitoba. So Let's head north. Head north, young man. Head north. <laughs> so the pandemic has opened our eyes to many aspects of the economy we may have otherwise always taken for granted. And I think at the top of that list may be a term that I, quite frankly, have not heard more of than I have in the last year or so, and that's supply chain. Yeah, how about this one? Just-in-time delivery, Brett. Just-in-time delivery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, can you even count on that anymore? No, I don't know if you can, and, and unless there are certain places uh, bringing your food, uh, including your pizza and, and other food. Other aspects of the global supply chain have been disrupted by the pandemic, including that just-in-time delivery for manufacturers. One of the first re- vivid real-world impacts, I think, Brett, of increased demand during the pandemic in this part of the world was the cost of lumber. Brent Bellamy, architect and creative director at Number 10, columnist, Winnipeg Free Press, urbanist and proud Winnipegger joins us now. Good morning, Brent. Good morning. So what have we learned during the pandemic when it comes to housing construction and its dependence on the global supply chain? Yeah, I think you're you're right with the, uh, we sort of got an eye opener on the, the cost of wood. I think everyone was a year ago sort of looking at that uh, hole in the fence or in the deck or um, you know, at the cottage and wanting to do some, some renovations and they headed off to the 
lumber store and noticed that a two by four was ten times more expensive than it was last year. So imagine um, trying to build a six story wood frame building, um, you know, in Osborne Village, or uh, you know, having pretty much every building component go through its cost spike or being unavailable. You know, buildings are have thousands of different components that come from all over the world, and and it's been a really crazy time to to try to uh, meet the extreme demand. Like people are ready to build. There's there's a lot of pent up investment opportunity, and people are looking to to you know upsize their homes and all this. And so there's real demand for construction, and it's really struggling with all the challenges of of not just the pandemic, but you know climate change and and you know other other issues that we're seeing in the world today. Might we see more conversion of office towers into apartments or condos um, like we've seen, for example, at 433 Main Street or the, even the fed, former Medical Arts Building? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to be a Winnipeg thing or not. We'll see. Um, uh, we still have to see how the whole uh, work from home thing shakes out. I don't think companies are really making that decision quite yet. Some of the bigger ones are. Government is a little bit. Um, Winnipeg has never had a real glut of office you know, that's definitely happening in Calgary. In Winnipeg, I think our office vacancy was something like 10% in, in 2019, and it's about 11.5% today. So it's not, um, we're not seeing significant change there. In Calgary, office vacancies are, you know, over 30%, so they're definitely seeing lots of conversions. Like you say, at Maine and Bannatyne is an amazing example of um, what the future could be. It was a, you know, 16-story office building from the 80s. It's where the, uh, the, um, where you go get your your passport, the passport offices, and they've switched it to uh, ten stories of of apartment buildings, rental apartments, five stories of office, and then a ground floor of commercial. So it's really a an amazing mixed use building, and I think could be the the future. I don't know if we'll see wholesale changes of you know um, the Richardson building becoming residential in Winnipeg, but there'll be small little bits like that for sure. And and we'll see what happens when everybody, if this thing ever does end, if how the the landscape, the office landscape, uh, sort of shakes out in the end, but we'll see. I, I don't really see huge change in Winnipeg, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, that's sort of the uh, mo in this part of the world. Slow and steady wins the race. In terms <laughs> of winning the race for for more availability of of opportunities to live downtown Brent on, you know, in the East exchange as uh, another large uh, project underway where they're integrating a new build with a, with a heritage building. Uh, do you, do you see a turning point coming? You know, I, I just keep feeling as though we're missing out on what was supposed to be the extra benefit of having as many people live downtown as do in particular in the East exchange you're talking about that mixed use sort of development. And just it just feels as though the retail development, the street level activity just hasn't come around with regard to the the brand new construction and the conversions in the East Exchange. Am I am I out to lunch on that? No, you definitely are. We when, you know, downtown Winnipeg was steaming along really nicely and you know population was growing not just downtown even like if you look at um surrounding neighborhoods like osborne village it's it's booming and and was before the pandemic and a real you know the pandemic screeched everything to a halt um but i do think i'm optimistic i'm really optimistic actually i went two years being really sort of sad about the future and worried that you know all those gains we've had in the last 20 years are just going to 
um, be totally reversed, and we're going to be right back to the days of looking to build Portage Place again to save the world. And uh, but I really I'm optimistic today, and and I'll tell you why I'm the, my, the most optimistic is because I've heard from several uh, property owners that you know I mentioned that we've we don't have a glut of office space, but we do have a glut of surface parking lots. That is the one thing that Winnipeg does really well, downtown Winnipeg. And I've heard from several people that the economics of parking lots have changed. They used to just be cash cows. And why would you not, why would you ever develop on a, on a surface parking lot when you can just, you pay low taxes, there's low maintenance costs and high demand. Um, that's changed. And parking lot owners are now looking for opportunities to develop because they're looking for a higher and better use and better return on that piece of land. And that, to me, is really exciting. And if we can sort of dovetail our, you know, our government programs and incentives for, you know, building back downtown better and building the inner city stronger, if we can dovetail with that opportunity, I think it's something that we could look back on this as the time when, when the inner city really changed. And we, we've started to fill in, you know, I think we only need to fill in about 10 major parking lots in downtown, and the whole place could be a different place. Like, it's... To me, that's the biggest reason downtown isn't vibrant is because of the surface parking. And I think there's a real opportunity now in this unique situation where people aren't coming back, there's not the same demand for parking, um, to really change what the future of the of the downtown is. So that does give me some excitement. It's a bit of a weird thing. And, and you know, I'm not used to being excited when everyone else is not. I'm usually a pessimist. <laughs> but I, I do see that as a great opportunity. Brent Spellaby, oh, go ahead, Greg. So, so, go ahead, Brent. No, I just please, no, just go. jump in quick. At, at the three, you know, at 360 Main and 42 stories of of rental properties coming online. Edison Properties investing in that former Manitoba housing project on Smith Street. Like, is there is there still a demand? Like, it feels as though anytime a project actually gets built, Brent, it's successful. It is, and I think there's going to be more. I, you know, I think um, downtown is going to, what downtown is, is going to change. We've been talking about this for a long time. It can't just be office space. It has to be uh, a neighborhood, and I think we're going to see that beginning to happen, and we were, we were getting close, honestly, with new development. You know, this year, more, off, more residential units, uh, I like to say homes, actually, more homes will open downtown than in the history of downtown this year, like coming out of the pandemic. So I think we're on the precipice of, of some change, and there's some really good programs coming, you know, to, to bring downtown back. And I think if we can dovetail those programs, I know there's really smart people working on them, with the needs and with the demand of, of what, the, what people want, I think there's a great opportunity to look back in five years and say this was the spark that, that you know, we, for two years we were, we were sad about it and depressed, but this was the spark that changed downtown Winnipeg forever. And I'm really hopeful that that happens. How does the prioritization of sidewalk clearing in the winter, um, like how does that create more livable cities if we look at the areas like downtown or elsewhere in the city? Yeah, there was an interesting poll in the Free Press for Winnipegers asking if they think uh, we should prioritize more sidewalks or more streets for snow clearing. And, and it was a very predictable response. Um, the neighborhoods, people that live in the neighborhoods don't really have sidewalks, thought that we shouldn't prioritize sidewalks. And people in the inner city and downtown um, thought the exact opposite, that sidewalks should be prioritized. And, you know, it's really, 
when you live in a in a central neighborhood, you're walking, you're using uh, your feet, and honestly, even a lot of times your bike more often than a, than a car. You're going grocery shopping, you're going, you know, to the store or whatever, or even just for a walk. Um, it's it's part of the quality of life in an urban neighborhood, and that's why that's why a lot of people are attracted to living urban in an urban neighborhoods because they do walk. They can put their cars away. You don't have to take a car for every single thing you do, and if we don't <clears throat> prioritize that, it won't be as attractive to, to bring people to live that type of type of lifestyle. And then that has a whole knock-on effect on what kind of development is happening and the city's density and, you know, the cost of taxes. It's a whole uh, cascade of, of effects if we don't make living in urban neighborhoods something that's attractive. And, and snow clearing is critical. And, and it's not just about convenience. It's about accessibility. If you're, you know, if you use a wheelchair, if you're even pushing a stroller, or if you're a senior with a limited mobility, um, you need the sidewalks to be clear. And, and that's something, it's not just a convenience issue, it's, it's a human rights issue, to be honest. And it's something we need to think about, because people use their feet and aren't using their cars to move around the city. And we need to, we need to allow that to happen as much as possible. Brent Bellamy is an architect. He's a creative director at Number 10, columnist with the Winnipeg Free Press. He's an urbanist and proud Winnipegger. Brent, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brent. I just wanted to say I love your Couch Potatoes show. I, I listen to it all the time. Oh, well, right on, Brent. Thank you very much. We're going to count down our top 20 TV shows of 2021 this week, so we'll have that awesome. uh, ready to go I'm by tomorrow afternoon. The, uh, the showcase of Star Wars Marathon, so I'm looking for something else to watch. Oh, the new Star Wars show uh, begins today, actually, on Disney+. Plus. The Book of Boba Fett. Thanks for the reminder, Brent. Awesome. Thanks okay. very much, Brent. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. We, and we will have that uh, Couch Potatoes uh, Top 20 available for you tomorrow afternoon. He makes a great point on the cars, though, Greg. I mean, I, I think the only time I ever use my car is to go see my dad. Otherwise, everything is pretty much on foot. Because of the neighborhood I've, I live in, so I don't need to my car for almost anything. I think a lot, a lot more people would like that option as well, Brett. And, uh, and if uh, Brent is correct, we might see a lot more of those options come to market. That'd be fantastic, in my estimation. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.